Uh, most blockchains, you have those three components, speed, security, and scalability. And Bitcoin's chosen to focus on security because that is the most important aspect. And with security, the more and more nodes come online, the more and more Bitcoin gets attacked, the more and more people use it, you get this property called decentralization. And decentralization doesn't come from day one. So when Satoshi started mining Bitcoin, he was the only miner. So day one of Bitcoin, the Genesis block, block zero, it wasn't decentralized. There was one person mining it. It wasn't fast. It wasn't uh, scalable. But as more and more people came online and the system um, continued to grow, it became more decentralized, more distributed because more nodes, more people mining in different ge geographical locations, different time zones, different operating systems, different manufacturers' devices. It became more and more decentralized to the detriment of speed and scalability. This is Bitcoin Basics Podcast with your host Ferris, that's me, and Gordon from Coin Compass. We're Bitcoin advisors and educators supporting business and individual investors to safely buy, manage, and control their private keys, Bitcoins. This podcast is strictly educational and is not intended to be financial or investment advice. Full disclaimer in the show notes and at the end of this episode. Ready? Yo. G'day everyone and welcome to another Bitcoin Basics podcast with your hosts Gordon, that's me, and Faris. We are going to have a look at Bitcoins versus altcoins, but before we give, begin, one of the most popular websites for checking prices is CoinMarketCap. So I'm looking at CoinMarketCap right now, and we've got Bitcoin, Litecoin, PPCoin, Namecoin, Feathercoin, TerraCoin, DevCoin, FreeCoin, NovaCoin, and CHN Coin. What the hell are all of those? I actually have no idea what most of those are, Gordon. Um, so yeah, when we first got into this business, I was looking at the altcoins and I was asking you from a fundamental point of view what they are. Because um, so to explain to people who don't really know, and I get, I actually still get this question from very intelligent people because um, yeah, Bitcoin is just, it's like trying to learn the, an entire encyclopedia. So Bitcoin itself is an open source um, technology. So what created Bitcoin, the white paper, the Bitcoin blockchain, this technology that sits behind Bitcoin was made freely available to the public. And anyone can go ahead and copy, copy it and create their own. So this is what we had. We had people launching their own versions of Bitcoin and they could offer something that Bitcoin couldn't be it privacy, be it bigger um, blocks of transactions, all kinds of different things. So in essence, um, I, th I think the best analogy would be to say uh, .com URL. So .com was the first one that came out, but we have all these other ones, .biz, .io, you know, whatever. There's so many other, but everyone remembers .com as a business. You want to use .com. So Bitcoin is a .com and everything else is the smaller URL derivatives. That's a good analogy, actually. I haven't thought of that one. And the reason why you haven't heard of any of those coins except for Bitcoin is I was reading from the Wayback Machine in 2013's coin market cap list of the top 10 coins. 
Um, so that's probably why I haven't heard of most of them, except for Bitcoin. So that's the only one that's remaining. Yeah, because I thought I could. I yeah, I thought I would have picked the you know at least four or five, maybe more of the top altcoins out there. So I was surprised I didn't hear of any of those. So. Yeah, <laughs> and um, are any of those actually still around, Gordon? Uh, I just I just closed my uh, browser window, but um, I yeah, I mean they're they're around forever, I guess. As long as there's one person mining them, then they'll probably <laughs> hang around. So there's something like eight thousand old coins. So, uh, and just as a proof of recording, which I forgot to do before, this is block number or block time six one nine nine three two. Or in other words, March the third, twenty twenty. So we're looking at altcoins versus bitcoins. So with that, Gordon, I mean, I know a few people that speculated in altcoins um, with the premise that thinking you buy them so cheap and they and you know could end up actually being of value. So the equivalent would be the dot com crash. Like some companies that were around during the dot com crash that actually did crash. I think Amazon, Microsoft, Intel, they all went through it, but they're huge companies today. Um, in your opinion, is this, gonna, is this the same thing? Are we actually going to have some worthwhile altcoins that come out of this and benefit? Perhaps. I guess it depends on what your perspective is. Are you talking worthwhile in terms of money and potential trading and, or even short-term speculation, or are you talking fundamental technological changes that will compete with Bitcoin? The latter. Okay. So, so I maybe think, not compete, sorry, just maybe not compete with Bitcoin, but live alongside it. Yeah. I mean, there are really three kinds of coins. There's Bitcoin, which is the original. Uh, it didn't have any pre-mine. There weren't any scans involved. It was a fair launch, what they say, an immaculate conception and distribution. <laughs> So you got Bitcoin, then you've got altcoins, and they are actually different blockchains. So you've got a token which has a separate blockchain. So for example, a Litecoin or any of the Bitcoin forks like Bitcoin Cash or whatever. But then you also have tokens, and they're one thing that sort of come up in the 2007 ICO boom, and they actually don't have a separate blockchain. So they're kind of a layer above. Those tokens, most of them on Ethereum, don't have a blockchain, but you know, have a lot of marketing and have a use case behind them. Now, in terms of technology, so I'm going to completely ignore the economic or value potential of those coins. Every single altcoin says that they fix something that is inherently wrong with Bitcoin. Um, probably the most uh, probably the most prevalent point is they're faster. So you have a lot of altcoins that say, you know, Bitcoin's block time is 10 minutes. You can only do seven transactions a second. Our brand new WhizBang blockchain can do a million transactions a second. Therefore, come use us because we're faster than Bitcoin. So there's that. There's also cheaper transactions. So Bitcoin transactions, I wouldn't consider expensive, but compared to other cryptos, they are. So you have something like Bitcoin Cash that say, you know, Bitcoin's fees got up to, you know, $50 a transaction a couple of years ago. Bitcoin Cash, we have fees of one cent or less than a cent. You have other use cases, like for example, Ethereum, who say Bitcoin is really restrictive in terms of its code development. So you can't do things like smart contracts, even though you can with projects like RSK, but that's a discussion for another time. 
sorry, Gordon, just a point there because I know it's something important. Um, tell us what a smart contract is. A smart contract is neither smart nor a contract. It's basically like an escrow. So, for example, an, an example would be, say, eBay, you're a buyer and a seller. Well, you need a third party to provide that sort of dispute resolution. And usually what you do is you put something in escrow, the funds in escrow or some goods or something in escrow. And then once that transaction has gone through, assuming there's no arbitration, or even if there are by a third party, those funds get released. Well, that requires a third party, it requires manual intervention. A smart contract is basically the same, but without a third party. So you have two, for example, on Ethereum, you may have um, two people wanting to do a transaction about something, doesn't matter what it is, and they create what's called a smart contract, which really is a piece of code to say, you know, it could be a bet, you know, if the price of Ethereum goes above $100 in the next, um, you know, two months or something like that, then this wallet will be paid out. You know, the winner will be paid out to this wallet. Um, that's a really trivial example, and I'm sure all the Ethereum people are shouting up and down and saying, you don't know what the hell you're talking about. But um, prediction markets are one of the big things that smart contracts are being used by. But one of the problems with smart contracts is how do you know that the price has gone up $100? What exchange are you looking at? Perhaps you're getting it from a third-party data source. What if those are corrupt? What if you paid the, th it was a million-dollar bet, and you paid the uh, third-party data source $100,000 to fix the result, blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, that's, uh, that's probably way more detail than you asked for. It is, Gordon, but I wouldn't expect anything less from you. <laughs> yeah, so actually, we, sh we should probably definitely do a separate episode on smart contracts because they're not smart. They're pieces of code, and they're not really a contract either because they're not legally binding. All right, so... and. Tell me if we need to avoid this rabbit hole as well, but with what you're describing in Ethereum and these smart contracts, are they, do we need to understand the difference between proof of stake and proof of work? No, they're, no, they're, they're to do with the blockchain economics and game theory. That's not really to do with smart contract. Okay. Is no, that because you can actually to, in this podcast, proof of stake? No, <laughs> no absolutely not. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so you have, uh, uh, smart contract platforms like Ethereum and, and now EOS and Neon and some others as well saying Bitcoin can't do smart contracts, therefore, you know, we've got a use case for, to use our altcoin. And then you have, well, maybe we'll discuss it. Then you have um, altcoins saying, well, Bitcoin is so environmentally unfriendly. Proof of work, which is used to um, prove that you spent money, time, electricity to secure the blockchain is uh, going to cause global warming. We're all going to die in 10 years. And so you have these other altcoins that use what you were saying, proof of stake and other mechanisms that don't require enormous, I wouldn't say waste, but use of electricity and, um, and so on and so forth. So there's something that Bitcoin has, is deficient in, you know, one of 20 things. And it might be something like the government's layer. So, for example, to get changes into Bitcoin is really hard. They're debated and people, you know, post memes on Twitter and stuff to get implemented takes like five years. Therefore, and that governance happens off the Bitcoin main chain, like there's no code or anything. It's just humans discussing it. Uh, let's create a coin that has governments actually inbuilt into the protocol. So you have some blockchains that have these things called masternodes. And so, for example, you might have $100,000 of a particular coin, 
Well, that gives you um, the ability to run a masternode and those masternodes can then decide on what to implement, what changes to implement or what changes to reject, you know, almost instantaneously or within a short time frame, which makes development on that platform a lot, well, I wouldn't say easier, but a lot quicker. Okay, so if I'm getting this right, basically, I'm hoping I've understood what you told me, is that Bitcoin essentially is robust, which makes it slow. And these other coins, um, they're tr what they're trying to introduce diminishes that robustness, that security that Bitcoin has. Is that, if I am putting things in a very small nutshell, is that give that what credence to what you just said? Yeah, I think you're right. Bitcoin, Bitcoin has value from a technological point of view, but also from a, a money point of view. And we won't go down the rabbit hole of intrinsic value because it doesn't exist. Um, so I've offended all uh, stock market traders and whatnot. But altcoins say that they have something that they do better than Bitcoin. And many of them do. So, for example, um, Ripple XRP, that has almost instantaneous uh, transactions. You don't have to wait 10 minutes for block time. Transactions happen within a second or within a couple of seconds. So that's true. Ripple is faster than Bitcoin. There I said it. I've, I've um, admitted defeat and uh, Ripple is faster than Bitcoin. But what about the other 19, 25 or 30 awesome properties of Bitcoin? And probably the most important one is the 21 million cap supply and the fact that Bitcoin is decentralized. Well, Ripple isn't decentralized and Ripple has an influence supply. Yeah, because Ripple, isn't it a company more than anything else? Ripple is a uh, Microsoft 97 Excel spreadsheet. Yeah. And how many Ripples have been created to date? I've, I've forgotten. It's uh, three billion or something ridiculous. Well, no, Ripple is pre-mined. So Ripple had something like, I'm going to quote the number. It was in the billions. I, I can't remember exactly. Yeah, it was in the billions, yeah. But all those coins, unlike Bitcoin, all those coins were pre-mined. So you've got a company that owns Ripple, runs Ripple, has pre-mined 100% of the coins, and just by their good graces and because they're you know, entrepreneurs, they're going to release them to you know, developers onto the market, whatever, which is what they've been doing slowly. Because I remember when in the altcoin... Um boom when ripple went to i think three dollars for like a day the ceo of ripple was the wealthiest man in the world i caught that train and i got completely burnt on the way down as well <laughs> <laughs> yeah don't uh, don't mention one of my tr trigger words ripple and xrp <laughs> you brought it up <laughs> <laughs> but uh you're right the th there is a trade-off so there's a trade-off with every single coin and you really have trade-offs. There are many trade-offs, but there are only three. Speed, security, and stability. Oh, sorry, scalability. So Bitcoin is kind of slow by design. And yes, it can't scale, not by design, but it can't right. really scale as well. Explain scalability is, first before we go down there. Um, so the reason why Bitcoin can't really scale is that the more nodes that you add to the Bitcoin network, so say, for example, at the moment, there are 10,000 nodes. Sorry, if before you, we get even before we get there, Gordon. because <laughs> right, yeah. you're you're using a key term here that most people want to say. What does scaling mean? The word scale. 
What does it mean? Scaling means maintaining or improving the efficiency and when you're dealing in computer science or databases of storage of data and the retrieval of data. All right. so, so for example, if I am running a computer and I keep adding software, I keep adding apps, my computer is going to run slower. Um, yes, not, we're not really talking about that. We're more talking about how can a system uh, still maintain or even improve its efficiency over time as new users, customers, or the use of the system increases. Yeah. So as more and more people come on board, so it's like a train. More and more people come on a train. You don't want the train to slow down. You need that train to maintain its speed. Uh, the advantage of that was, no, the advantage, I guess, with a train would be, no, adding more carriages, adding 10 more carriages to the train would maintain the same speed. Okay. So, yeah. So, but the engine itself would have to be running um, a lot faster. So it's one of those things where as you add more people in, you don't want to slow the network down. You still want the network to be faster, to maintain yeah, so stability. You could, okay. So does adding another engine make it faster or does it sort of slow it down because you've got so much weight or whatever? Anyway, I think we've right. uh, completely butchered this. No, it's, it's just one of those things. This is a term in IT that people know when they're in IT, but I know a lot of people when you say scalability or scale, they actually don't know what that means. So this is what, you know, Bitcoin basics, we want to get these basics. So I think, we, I think we've got that, but thanks. Sorry, right. Gordon, I won't interrupt you now. <laughs> no, that's all right. Actually, a better example I just thought of it would be a website. So you've got a website on, say, your home computer. You could do quite easily. You could have a website on your home computer, um, you know, your $1,000 computer or whatever. And for your family and friends to check out photos, you've given them the website address to that computer. So for 10 users, 20 users, that's fine. But it can't scale to, say, 100,000 people checking that website because your computer is basically going to full up of memory, RAM, hard drive space, and it's simply that system can't scale. So, uh, yeah, with most blockchains, you have those three components, speed, security, and scalability, and Bitcoin's chosen to focus on security because that is the most important aspect. And with security, the more and more nodes come online, the more and more Bitcoin gets attacked, the more and more people use it, you get this property called decentralization. And decentralization doesn't come from day one. So when Satoshi started mining Bitcoin, he was the only miner. So day one of Bitcoin, the Genesis block, block zero, it wasn't decentralized. There was one person mining it. It wasn't fast. It wasn't uh, scalable. But as more and more people came online and the system um, continued to grow, it became more decentralized, more distributed because more nodes, more people mining in different ge geographical locations, different time zones, different operating systems, different manufacturers' devices. It became more and more decentralized to the detriment of speed and scalability. Okay. So... With, I think we, we just wrote about decentralization and I read there were about 10,000 full nodes out there, which I actually thought was low. I thought there'd be more than that. It's hard to know because some nodes come offline and online and um, some nodes aren't full nodes. So you can run a full node, which is actively verifying transactions. 
But some nodes don't want to be full nodes. They don't want to verify other people's transactions. They want to only verify, say, your own transactions or, or for a business. So it's sort of hard to tell exactly how many they are, but that's probably a good guess. I'd say that's a minimum of 10,000. So with Bitcoin, the more nodes we have joining, so in essence, the more people that join the blockchain network, the will that affect um, how fast blocks the block rewards blocks are transacted because they're on average 10 minutes now, but if we add more nodes, it doesn't affect that, does it? No, so the speed will stay the same. And yep. uh, with SegWit and some other improvements, it can get a little bit faster. But let's say, for argument's sake, seven seconds per, um, seven transactions, sorry, seven transactions per second. That will stay mm -hmm. pretty much consistent. Yep. But yeah, the scalability, the amount of data that needs to be communicated throughout the nodes, going from say 10,000 nodes to 100,000 nodes is exponential. And that is one of the reasons why the Bitcoin developers wanted to keep the size of the blocks in terms of megabytes really, really small. Because if those blocks got bigger, then the transaction time would slow down because it's more information going between the nodes. The transaction time might not slow down. It may eventually, and you'd have a complete bottleneck in the network, but probably more likely the blocks will be full and you'd yeah. be waiting you know, 10 blocks for your transaction. Right, okay. So the blocks will keep going at every 10 minutes on average, but you'd have um, fewer transactions in each block or you just have to wait longer. So it's that thing of more and more. Blocks characters. will be full. Yeah. So you yeah. just have to wait longer. So, yeah. okay. and so transactions with this transaction time would actually slow down. It, for by the time you hit send my Bitcoin to you, it, yeah, I'd have to wait for several blocks. All right. That, that well, the, transa the transaction per second would stay about the same. But the, yeah, you might have to wait 10 blocks instead of one block at the moment. So is this a, bit, a problem that Bitcoin has now? If more and more people join on, more and more people start to use it. So we look at the user base of Bitcoin going up and more and more people spend it on a daily basis. How will Bitcoin tackle the scalability issue? So we really need to compare apples and apples. So far, we've been just looking at blockchain versus blockchain. So Bitcoin blockchain versus, I don't know, uh, EOS or Cardano, one of these other blockchains that, I mean, Dash says that they're super fast and one second block times, all this kind of stuff, which is true. So Bitcoin's a lot slower. And so all the innovation, as we've discussed before, is happening not on the main chain, but on side chains and layer two solutions like Liquid Network and Lightning Network and other kinds of um, solutions to make it faster. So the argument that Bitcoin is slow is true. To combat that, you've got something like the Lightning Network and transactions happen within a second, if not sooner. So um, we need to compare apples with apples. And I, I'm not trying to defend um, Bitcoin's main chain or anything like that. I'm just saying that a lot of the use cases for these altcoins are speed and scalability. But with some of these layer two and side chains and solutions that don't have their own blockchains are sort of built around Bitcoin or on top of Bitcoin, actually solve pretty much most of these problems like speed, scalability, uh, smart contracts, uh, consensus, um, for example, the Lightning Network doesn't need proof of work. It doesn't have a um, consensus sort of like that. It really is a smart contract network and so on and so forth. So 
a lot of these altcoins don't really have a use case anymore. Okay. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Uh, you kind of answered a question I was going to ask you was, what is it these altcoins provided that, you know, has Bitcoin basically looked at those and said, we can do that, but we want to do it securely. And and this is where the whole opinion comes from, that Litecoin is a test bot for Bitcoin. Um, so is there anything at this moment, any altcoins that you know of that do actually provide a service that Bitcoin doesn't? Uh, the short answer to that is no. Um, however, I, I'm not like anti, you know, everything that's not Bitcoin is a scam on, and not worthwhile. For example, Ethereum. I think Ethereum is doing great things. They're doing a lot of experimentation, which is great. And arguably, you want that experimentation to happen on a non-Bitcoin uh, blockchain because, to be honest, if you're looking at Bitcoin as a store of value, you're not even going to be stuffing around with the money supply and smart contracts for this and that. So I think a lot of these blockchains that don't compete with Bitcoin for money as a store of value are essential. And actually a lot of the privacy coins like Monero, Zcash, and a few others, uh, Bitcoin's actually looking at implementing some of those features into the main chain or at least uh, second layer solutions as well. So if there are some improvements in these mm -hmm. other altcoins that have been proven, we don't have to sort of bastardize and we don't have to experiment with the Bitcoin main chain, which is going to replace central banks. Um, we can do it um, after the fact, see what fails, what works, and then build sort of on top and around Bitcoin. Yeah. And one thing I want to point out here, everyone that's listening, is um, we have talked about side chains and Lightning Network in depth in other podcasts and in newsletters we've tackled it. So we won't go into that today, but definitely worth looking into. And I do want to mention one thing here, Gordon, in that um, two years ago, Gordon was very much into altcoins and everything they could do. He was doing a lot of research into them, really knows what he's talking about. And he's come around to, what, I, is it fair to call you a Bitcoin maximalist? No, no, I'm not actually. I, I've come around to uh, any altcoin that, can, that doesn't compete with Bitcoin on money, I think is worthwhile. It's just yeah. unfortunate that 99.99% of those altcoins try and compete with Bitcoin on money. So this is one thing I want to point across is that anyone in this business, and when I say this business, I'm referring to if you're an investor, a trader, um, if you're into Bitcoin even, is you want strong opinions weekly held. So, you know, as uh, John Maynard Keynes said, when the facts change, you change your mind. So, yeah. And um, I'm thinking of Raul, Raul Powell, who um, was a CEO, is a CEO and founder of Real Vision. He... Mm was one of the key guys that got me into Bitcoin when it was at $600. He sold all his Bitcoins at around 3000 And I remember thinking, oh no, the guy that got me into it is now out. It then went from 3000 to 20000 And he's come back and say, okay, I realized I was wrong. There's things about Bitcoin I did not understand that I understand now. So he's come back to going, okay. And that's, in this day and age, that takes a lot of guts to basically say, hey, I was wrong. It does. Absolutely. I wish other people would do it. Yeah. I wish other people do it. And there's no, you know, I'm hoping that some of these altcoiners and some of these people do come around back around to Bitcoin as, as a store of value. Um, yeah. But uh, let's change tact because we've been talking technically the differences between Bitcoin and altcoins. What about investing? What's your advice? Now, we don't, at Coin Compass, we're talking about buying and holding and hodling. So yeah. we would 
we would want you to buy Bitcoin, put it in a hardware wallet or a customized cold storage solution, forget about it for five, 10 years. But for trading and short-term uh, trading, what do you suggest in terms of altcoins? So, so yeah, I, uh, I haven't been actively trading for some time. I will start, um, it's just been a lifestyle decision and I've been trading the conventional markets because just several things going on there. Um, yeah, again, I don't rec recommend trading. As I said, I got into Bitcoin was at $600, did everything wrong. I traded. How do you get, how do you get a full Bitcoin? Start with 10 and trade. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I, if I were to actively trade, I would look at trading the altcoins against Bitcoin. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's what I would look at doing. And, and I'll quote John Maynard Keynes again, just he, and he was a very good trader. And he basically said, I don't put my eggs in several baskets. I put a few eggs in one basket and I watch them very closely. So I would pick four, maybe five altcoins, and it would be the liquid ones. So I'm just, I haven't looked at the chart in a very long time, but I'm going to say the ones that I looked at would have been Ethereum, Ripple, Bitcoin Cash, Litecoin, Monero, and I would trade those against Bitcoin. Almost um, the top five. Oh, did I? There you go. Almost. So yep. there, yeah. So I would look at trading those against Bitcoin because they're liquid, and yeah. And Gordon, you taught me into you taught me in this when you're selling them, um, you're you're basically accumulating Bitcoin. You're not accumulating mm, yeah. fiat. You're accumulating Bitcoin, and it's just yeah. That's what I look at doing. Um, but you got to be really careful because I think we'd I'd I'd do this on Binance without margin. Very very mm. small trades. You do not want the stress of margin. I tried some of the exchanges where you can leverage 20, 50 to one, all I do is lose my Bitcoins. Um, and I've got so, five, six years of trading under my belt. So what you're saying is don't try and short Ripple on 100% leverage on BitMEX. Uh, leverage, if you're gonna leverage to 20, um, just figure out what your <laughs> risk is. But the, the problem with leveraging these things is that, um, when you're buying something, it means you're borrowing it from someone and you're paying them interest. And what you don't realize is a lot of these Bitcoin-only exchanges, the interest is payable every eight hours. So every eight hours, you're paying to hold a position. So if it's going sideways for two days, you're losing. And that means your um, margin call is getting closer and closer. So that's why I just look, I like Binance because it is liquid and you can margin on Binance now three to one, which is not that high. Um, I haven't looked into that yet, but I would just, you know, buy and sell non-margin and you set your stops and you set your limits. You're in, you're out. You don't want to be thinking about it. You want a system where you're not looking at the charts. Cause when you look at the charts, you become emotional and emotion takes over your system. And, uh, before we wrap it up, if you do want to open an account, uh, we are not affiliated or endorsed or sponsored by Binance. It's just the most liquid exchange. Um, I'll put a link in the description. But if you go to coincumbers.com slash Binance, that just throws a couple of bucks our way. You decide to set up an account there. I see altcoins as kind of like penny stocks. You know, you could probably pick an Amazon, the next Amazon or Google or Tesla mm. or Apple or whatever. But, you know, that's one in a thousand or one in 10,000 sort of thing. You're pretty much going to waste your money. Um, but a lot of people say that uh, you should diversify 
which I think makes sense in a normal, regular market. Like if you're looking at stocks or commodities or stuff like that. But with Bitcoin, if you diversify, like 10% Bitcoin, 10% this, 10% that, when Bitcoin goes down, everything goes down. Yeah, I, I don't know about that. So, and look, diversification is based on the premise. When people say diversify, if you go to a, a wealth manager today, they're basically going to do what's called 60-40. 60% in stocks, 40% in bonds. And that is a golden rule because they believe they don't mm -hmm. go down together. Now, that's actually wrong. And I just listened to an interview with Chris Cole, who runs a long volatility hedge fund. And he would, he would probably be the world's renowned expert on volatility. Um, I read, there's an awesome paper, which we'll put the link on, but everyone needs to read it. And he says, we, he said, that fails. That's failed three times in the last hundred years. And it, when he says fail, like you can go bankrupt. Because what happens in a world where bonds and stocks go down at the same time? everything goes down. You've lost your risk. So he says this whole 60-40 diversification is a myth and it's due for a very rude awakening. Um, yeah, I think, and Tone Vase basically said he thinks the next bull run in Bitcoin will happen when Bitcoin goes up and the alts go down. And this is the thing about correlations. Correlations don't last forever. Um, we're expecting this year, when I say we, me, gold and the dollar to go up because gold and the dollar tend to be anti-correlated. Dollar goes up, gold goes down, vice versa. Um, that's just because gold is priced in dollars. But this year, we may see that change and there's very good arguments as to why that could happen. So correlations don't last forever. Yeah, so actually, I was agreeing with you. I was saying my diversification in terms of crypto is 100% Bitcoin. <laughs> At the moment, that's, that's what I would do. All right, so let's wrap this up. And if I could sum it all up in a gross oversimplification, I would say Bitcoin has value because it's really the first sort of decentralized digital money. Altcoins have value because usually a marketing team, um, there's some kind of myth of we're innovating or we've got this X coin is faster or whatever property of Bitcoin is slightly weaker. So therefore our altcoin is better, ignoring all the other effects of Bitcoin. Okay, I agree with that. And this is why, like you asked me what else to get into. And if people are looking at them like penny stocks and you want, you have time to do the research and look up a thousand different options and you want to put your money there, that's up to you. I do not have that kind of time. To me, I've spent the last four years spending on average two to three hours every day learning about Bitcoin. It's what I know. Couldn't have said it better myself. So stack sats, buy Bitcoin and chill, get your uh, Bitcoin off an exchange into cold storage. Well, thanks everyone for listening in to another Bitcoin basics podcast. Sometimes we do go beyond the basics. Um, but yeah, with what we said today, we do hope if you learned something, if you enjoyed it, please um, put a five-star review on iTunes for us. Um, jump on our YouTube channel. We do have some other episodes that are more visual and visit coincompass.com for all our free materials available there as well. And oh, just one more reminder, guys, this is not financial advice. This is educational, speculative opinions only. This is not financial advice, but 100% Bitcoin. Thanks for watching or listening. Please visit coincompass.com slash free to register to our socials and discover other free content.
Subscribing, liking, and following helps this content remain ad-free. Until next time.